Podcastle, episode 411. For April 12, 2016. Hands of Burnished Bronze by Rebecca Schwartz. Rated PG-13. Hello everyone, welcome to Podcastle, your weekly release from dull reality. I'm your co-editor and host, Graham Dunlop. Just a reminder that we will be closing to submissions from May the 1st, and we expect to reopen sometime in June 2016. Now, when people consider the word fantasy in relation to a story genre, often their first thought is of epic fantasy. Swords and sorcery, enormous battles, great evils to be overcome by chiselled heroes, plucky companions, and wily wizards whose powers let them do seemingly anything they want. They shape the world, they change the course of events, and very often the world is better for it. But not always. Which brings us to today's story, Hands of Burnished Bronze, by Rebecca Schwartz. And we're very pleased to say it's a Podcastle original. By day, Rebecca Schwartz is a mild-mannered editorial assistant for a scientific journal. By night, she writes science fiction and fantasy stories. Her work has appeared in Interzone, Bourbon Pen, and Daily Science Fiction. She's currently writing her first novel. You can read about her writing life at www.curiousworlds.blogspot.com Your narrator is the man with the voice of ebony, Cheyenne Wright. Cheyenne is the colour artist on the Hugo award-winning graphic novel series Girl Genius. He is also a freelance illustrator of many fine tabletop projects like Deadlands Noir and the Professor Elemental edition of the Pears card game. He is not the lord of a subterranean colony of mole people bent on world subjugation. Such claims are libelous and unfounded, as is the ground beneath those who repeat them. You have been warned, sun-sucking dirt walkers. More about Cheyenne's current plans for a better world, all of them better worlds, can be found at www.arcanetimes.com. And now, think hard on what you've done and whether it can be undone. Because if it can't, well... In the meantime, enjoy the story. Hands of Burnished Bronze by Rebecca Schwartz Night after night I lie awake, staring into the darkness, listening for the sound of scrabbling fingers on the flagstones outside my door. Sleep, like a young lover who sees how old and frightened I have become, has left me. I fear for good. I hear only the boy's regular breaths, A new slave, brought back from a recent campaign, he sleeps curled at the foot of my bed. Watery, pre-dawn light outlines my narrow window, 
too weak to enter my chamber. Soon dawn will drain the black hours pooled in this room. Voices drift in from the courtyard, then a shout. The boy jumps up as the clamor grows. I rise and pull my shoes on. The boy brings me my fur-lined cloak and swings it over my shoulders, but he will not unbolt the door. So I do. The hallway is dim and empty. Most of the court has fled. Those who remain listen behind their own locked doors. I run my hand along the wall as I walk, the cool stone guiding me through the gloom to the courtyard. Night watchmen swarm around the body they've just lowered to the ground. One of their own. He gapes up at the pale sky with bulging, sightless eyes. A grim gorget of purple welts encircle his neck. King Hroth steps over the body and grips my arm. Strangled. On the wall above, fog eddies behind the remaining watchmen as they pace the battlements like caged animals. Soon sunlight will lance across the fields surrounding the castle, and all eyes will search for the dreaded glimpses of metal glinting among the flowers that spangle the grass. Tell me you have found a spell to lift this curse, old friend. What passes between us is many things, but even after all these years I would not call it friendship. His haunted eyes search mine from under a brow etched with lines, his beard now streaked with gray, years ago, when the king swept into my homeland and took me into his service. It was with the understanding that I would not leave it alive. In those days, I thought myself a far better magician than I was. It was King Hroth that made me the powerful wizard that I am. Every town and castle he captured, he ordered his men to bring him the resident magician. Some were renowned, others little more than tricksters or court fools. He personally tortured all of them, with me by his side, to claim the secrets they divulged. I have no good answer for him, so I remain silent. I made you, he growls low in my ear. Find a way out of this, or I will end you. I am tempted to kneel before him now. His blade on my old neck would be a kindness. Instead, I bow and retreat, returning to my chambers. The room is empty. I leave the door open and walk to my formidable library. Nearly a score of grimoires and spellbooks. I run a finger over one of the aging spines, the leather hard and smooth as the seat of a saddle, and still speckled with brown blood. Please, magician, may I lock your door? The boy stands in the doorway. I thought he'd fled and wish now that he'd taken the opportunity. His presence only makes me realize my desire for solitude. He's trembling, trying hard not to look over his shoulder. I nod reluctantly 
and he closes the heavy wood door, sliding the iron bolt home with relief. I sit at my desk and close my eyes. If I can't have sleep, perhaps I can steal a few moments of peace. But no, the boy moves around the room, restless as a butterfly and not quite as stealthily. I'd order him away if I thought I could compel him to go further than the hallway on the other side of my door. Like the king, he is determined to remain close to me under the misguided belief that I can provide some measure of protection. It's no use to tell him not to be afraid, so I have him light a fire in the fireplace. He crouches on the hearth, delicate shoulder blades moving under his rough linen tunic, as he nimbly assembles the wood and tinder. I look away, but cannot escape the memory of the children who occupied this castle when King Hroth captured it. Those that survived, now grown into men and women, inhabit the village still, they sit in the shade of tree-lined lanes or lean against the wall of a relative's house. Dressed in rags, chipped cups held between grimed feet, mumbling rhymes with their chapped lips. A coin in my cup for a drink to sip. Silver for my lips, copper for my heart, a bit of tin for the dog in the street. I do not fear the magician's black art, for bronze is my heart. A spellbook lies open among the wreck of papers, bottles, and vials on my desk. I flip idly through pages of carefully inked spells, admissions, occult philosophy, opinions scrawled in the marginalia. Do you believe in curses? Startled, the boy turns to me but remains silent, afraid to give this foolish old wizard the wrong answer. The book's rippled pages warm under my hand. We came by this one via a fierce, wise woman who refused to speak a word. I remember the fire in her eyes when she spit in Hroth's face. I look back at the books lining my shelves each one as original and idiosyncratic as its long-gone odor. Can you read? He shakes his head. You could teach me, he ventures, hoping to curry favor, to buy more time safe in this room with me. I indulge the idea to raise this child up as my own, or one like him, teach him to read, to cast, to be a better magician than I. Would that there were time, boy. I don't believe in curses. There is no spell to undo that which the king and I wrought together on that long-ago day. I take up the spellbook, step over to the hearth, and throw the book into the fire. Its ancient pages go up quickly. The boy gasps and clasps a hand over his mouth. Bring me another. He stands motionless as a statue, and my heart hitches at the sight. I dismiss you from my service, I roar. The boy flinches, but does not obey. Who would stop him now? He's free already. 
I can barely stand to look at him. His curly hair the color of burnished bronze. The ashes from the fireplace make his hands look as if they've turned to marble. Which one? he asks finally. It doesn't matter. He brings me another book. I throw it into the fire. The flames embrace its thick vellum pages more slowly. Burn them all! I return to my desk to sift aimlessly through the papers scattered across it. As the boy stacks the books on the hearth, feeding them to the fire, one by one. The flames roar and pop, consuming the spells, releasing them. We had been weeks besieging these very castle walls when Hroth came to my tent one evening, wine skin in hand, and slumped in my camp chair so many years ago. His beard was jet black then. He glowered at me from under the shadow of his brow like a hawk, sizing up a hare in the grass far below. They send their children out at night through some secret passageway to raid our supplies. How do you know? We caught one this morning, a lame girl with a sack full of apples, he said sourly. My men have been searching every crack in the wall, every hole in the ground, and found nothing. No doubt the entry is minute. These curs would have surrendered by now except for their little thieves. The girl? She refuses to speak, of course, he said with a dismissive wave. I tried not to think of the fate she'd meet at the king's hand. I tire of this magician. You must earn your keep. He slurped some wine and handed the skin to me. Can't you turn their tenacious soldiers into stone or pillars of salt or some such? I sat on my cot and sipped the wine, warm as blood and smelling of the skin that held it. Oh, I think I can do better than that, I declared boldly. I knew I would have to do something daring. Magnificent. Say that you do, or I'll find myself a new magician, and I'll have you tell him all your secrets. He took the wineskin and left. Who thinks of the price they'll pay when they're playing for their life? I'd only acquired a couple of spellbooks at that point. I pored over them, working through the night to construct my greatest enchantment, one that would cement my reputation and secure my place in the service of King Hroth. At dawn, a company of the king's men rode with me to the castle walls. I began the incantation. The king's men repeated the chant as I had instructed them to, our voices rising together saturating the morning air. We continued for hours, until the noonday sun parched my throat and I could speak no more. I hoped it would be enough. Swaying, 
I gripped the reins in the silence as the king trotted his horse up to mine. We waited, the minutes dragging in the clotted heat. At last, a high, keening voice threaded up from inside the walls. Then a chorus of screams. Hroth ordered his men to the gates where they met. No resistance. Inside, women and children fled before us as we rode into the courtyard. I turned to look up at the wall. Their soldiers stood motionless. Everyone transformed into bronze statues. The king gasped and slapped me on the back. Not only have you won the day, you've made us rich. Roth installed blacksmiths in the courtyard and ordered the bronze soldiers hauled off the wall, melted down, and struck into coins, daggers, and short swords. Never had encountered such tenacious resistance, he declared to the women and children huddled before him, then told them not to cry. Their husbands, fathers, and brothers would travel the world as the official currency of the realm. He assured his newest subjects that he would be a good king, a just king. Of course, as such, he could not abide thievery in any form, and so, declaring himself Hroth the Just, he had his men gather all the children together and use the fine bronze swords to chop off their hands. I fled then, tried to stop up my ears against their screams. But I hear them still. The sound of a thing that cannot be undone. The boy plies a circuit around my room, tending the fire, peering out my narrow window, needlessly checking the door to make sure it's still securely locked. I take up my pen and find a blank sheet of paper. My collusion with King Hroth's cruelty is history. My life in his service has been a privileged one, and my powers are indeed great. I don't believe in curses. Even great magic is of the world, and our actions cannot be separated from it. It is an exchange, and every spell has a way of naming its own price. Indeed, the bronze went out into the world from that terrible day forward, but it was not long before it began to return. As incorporeal as ghosts, it appeared first only as rumor and wives' tales. The money brought bad luck on the trade roads. Merchants who owed no fealty to the king stopped accepting the coins for payment. Using the enchanted blades always led to misadventure and death. The king's own men refused to take the infamous weapons into battle. Frightened, King Hroth ordered every piece of bronze in the kingdom collected. He sent it all to the coast, and had it loaded onto a carrack bound for lands so remote as to be innocent of the metal's origin. For a time, life returned to normal. The king resumed his campaigns, and the kingdom prospered. 
but the bronze returns. The new reports, after traveling such a great distance, carry an aura of myth. Bedtime tales whispered to awestruck children of the cursed bronze that when melted cannot be forged, that breaks any mold it is poured into, forming itself instead into the shape of a child's hand, clenched or with fingers outstretched in panic. Once the metal cools, the burnished bronze hand drops to the shocked blacksmith's floor and crawls away into the forest. The king's men, who slept in the village, began to be found choked to death. One day, this story will truly be a fairy tale. Its reality lost to time. Its truths universal, abstract. The boy sleeps curled on the hearth. The sun has set in the fire, having emulated every last spellbook, flags. I wake the child and give him the letter I have written. It is time for you to go, I say gently. I release you from my service. This letter says so. No, I, I would stay with you under your protection. He jumps up and wraps his arm around my waist, Teach me to read. I pull him away and take his small, strong hands in mine, warm and alive in the cave of my palms. Like a woodland animal tensed to spring, you can make so many things with two good hands. Forge a life for yourself. But in order to be free, you must be brave. He begins to tremble again, eyes wide. Everyone is terrified of the burnished bronze hands that crawl through the countryside. But this child has nothing to fear. Shall I cast a spell of protection for you? He nods, clutching the letter. I rummage around my desk, find some colorful powder, toss it over him and intone some nonsense. I gesture for him to unbolt the door. The hallway is empty, every other door shut and locked against the dreadful hands. Go on, I say. The boy gives me one last impulsive hug, then turns and runs, disappearing into the velvety blackness. I walk the other way, winding through the shadowed passages to Hroth's great door. Two of his loyal men-at-arms stand on either side. They are accustomed to my late-night wanderings and nod amiably as I approach. I smile. But instead of a greeting, I utter a minor incantation. Their heads droop, and they slide down the wall in a deep sleep. Magic has its own wicked humor. It is a delicious irony that I can gift sleep to others but not to myself. One more string of ancient words, and the king's great doors unbolt themselves and silently swing open. There's my last spell cast. I return to my chambers and leave my own door open. The darkness is nearly complete. 
In the fireplace, one of the books retains its shape, a fragile glowing ember. I lie down on my bed, exhausted, able to find, if not peace, a kind of rest at last. A breeze plays through the open doorway, caressing my face, before gliding out my narrow window. I close my eyes and listen for the sound of small fingers scrabbling on the flagstones outside my door. Welcome back. Consequences. There are always consequences. In genre stories, the issue of consequences comes up a lot in time travel stories. In fact, I've just read a very fine time travel story that is absolutely about consequences. But it also often appears in epic fantasy. One of the things I like about this story is that it's about consequences, which are very clearly apparent in a short space of words. In fact, there are several things I like about this story. I like that it plays with the wizard-king relationship. In Arthurian stories, Merlin is the kingmaker, the one who lends Arthur's rule power, or at the very least, he helps pave Arthur's way. Here, it's just the opposite. The king makes the wizard. The wizard isn't really that special. He's just had the benefit of a powerful patron who is willing to go to extreme lengths. I also like the enchantment, how it initially works, how it gives them power and wealth, how it gradually starts to sour, how it begins to haunt them, and finally how it will literally strangle the kingdom. And I like that in the end, for all his power and knowledge and resources, the wizard is utterly powerless to halt the impending doom. Nothing like a happy ending, eh? Let's turn now to feedback, and this week it's for episode 401, The Colour of Regret, by Carrie Patel, and read to you by Setsu Uzume. This one opened our Artemis Rising 2 event, and was guest-hosted by our wonderful assistant editor, Khalida Muhammad Ali. We seem to have confused people with this one. Beach Trash said, It's embarrassing to say so, but I don't get it. The host said she was blown away by the ending. The only commenter on here was impressed by how well the twist ending was a surprise despite being obvious. Wonderful. And I didn't understand it. Embarrassed. I listened to it three times to try to figure it out. Am I the only one? For the benefit of those who missed it, can someone please explain what happened at the end there? Too subtle for me. Fire Turtle said, Well, here I was all ready to blame myself for not paying enough attention. Was moving boxes in my creepy, occasionally rat-infested and unfinished attic. Guess a lot more people than me got lost along the way. I liked the writing, but the narrative didn't capture me. The point of the story just kept slipping out of my head like water on a newly waxed car. Yes, that is my analogy. No, I think it's perfectly fine the way it is. I won't fix it. On the other hand, Dwango said, When the ending occurred, I had to listen to it one more time. 
This was such a rich story, and each word was a dark chocolate morsel melting in my mouth. The setting was surprising and engaging, where we go to a place I can hardly imagine and get a bit more interesting view of a society I only really observe from a distance or in the news. Great timing of this story, especially with the change in political climate. I only wonder what the aura reading had to do with the plot, other than making Nazarene a useful tool. It didn't really help her much, and she missed the obvious, which really did not need an aura check. Of course, as a reader, I missed it too, even though the twist was in plain sight. A great sleight of hand. I'm listening to it one more time to enjoy another serving. And how about you? Did the ending make sense? Why not add your own interpretation? Drop by forum.escapeartists.net and let us know. And now it's that time again, folks. It were a grief so brief to part with thee. Farewell. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, our forum moderators Talia and Ossicat, our audio producer Peter Wood, our associate editors Arunjiwa, Setsu Uzume, Christiana Formella, Troy Wiggins, and this week we welcome new associate editor Aidan Doyle. Our assistant editors Khalida Muhammad Ali and Jen R. Albert. Your co-editors Rachel K. Jones and myself. Thank you for stopping by and sharing the story with us. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is your host, Graham Dunlop, asking you to remember the wizard's words. Who thinks of the price when they're playing for their life? Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. Share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. To find out more about them, check their website at shiva-in-exile.de. We rely on you to keep our podcastle flying. It's through your generosity that we can continue to pay our authors and narrators week after week. You can make a regular donation for as little as $2 a month or a one-off donation of any amount. You can set up donations at the Podcastle website. Go to podcastle.org and find the Support Us section down the right-hand side. Abraham Lincoln said, Nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Let the might of your compassion arise to bring a quick end to the flowing stream of the blood and tears.